You're listening to audio from the Portland Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to our ministry, please visit www.portlandchurch.org. For some time, uh, we have had uh, some studies going on, Lisa and me, well, really for years, talking about what characters in the Bible were really like. And uh, over the last few years, especially looking at the Bible sort of through different eyes, starting in Genesis and going all the way through, and uh, seeing especially a lot of the women in a different light than, than I grew up thinking about women. So many things have, have occurred to me over the last few years, especially even the movies uh, that influenced me from the time I was a child. I'll never forget in 1964, seeing my very first James Bond movie. I've rewatched those movies over the holidays, but I never, I never ever as, as a kid, the way men looked at women and the way little boys thought about girls and what we thought being successful in romance was, James Bond was a role model. That's scary. That's that's terrifying. If you go back and look at the films, things that are done in those films, and, and I'm not talking about just sort of the cartoonish aspect of it, but what a lot of our mores and what a lot of our thoughts about what a what a real man is and how a real man loves a woman and all this stuff is just outrageous. And uh, for many of us, we found the Lord, and uh, and even when we were younger, we had church or some sort of morals that guided us and kept us from, you know, having a license to kill and all of that. But uh, I believe that it, it's it's gotten into our psyche. I believe it's gotten into our standards. I believe it's gotten into so many many layers of of manhood uh, that to be able to go through the scriptures and try to figure out what God was really telling us and what he was really saying about women and the way that women uh, uh, should be treated and what women can uh, can do in God's, in God's world uh, is amazing. Today, uh, one of the women that we've taken uh, a hard look at and view in a much different light over the last few years is, of course, Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. And... Uh, for, for me, looking at this a few years ago, uh, I wanted to write a, a different version of the Magnificat and put it in a musical that we did over in Singapore. And that just started giving me a glimpse of a young, a young woman, a, a, someone who basically has, had barely left childhood. Uh, and, and, and I say it in those days. These days, I don't think we would see her as much more than a child. Uh, but she was fierce. She was intense, and uh, in a very, very special way, Lisa has prepared some thoughts. Good morning. It's very good to um, be able to be here and do this um, with you all today. <clears throat> I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas, that you were able to at least have some rest, maybe, and some peace, except for those of you that needed to work, and thank you, uh, because I know that uh, it takes many of you to keep everything running. So uh, just uh, I'm hoping that you're getting some rest during this time. And um, I know it's been a weird year, strange holidays, but um, 
you know, these times together can really make all the difference. And um, so I hope that you um, will enjoy this time. You know, <clears throat> when I was nine years old, I wanted to be a nun. And um, there was a, t a popular TV show on, and there was a nun on it, I guess, and that maybe that was part of the influence. But I remember thinking, oh, well, that's not, that's not possible because that's not my church. I mean, she, we can't, we don't have nuns, so I can't be a nun. And, um, and I felt a little bit the same about Mary because all I ever heard about Mary was that she wasn't sinless and you weren't supposed to pray to her and that she was really sweet, you know, that she was the mother of Jesus. And she was kind of invisible to me. Like I didn't really ever think about her or who she was or what, what her life might have been like. And, um, and until several years ago, I had really, really dug in and studied who she was. But, you know, here it is. God, the God of the universe, decides to come to earth and be born as human. Now, he could have, now God is God, right? So he could have decided to come to earth as a 30-year-old full-grown person. The appropriate time for Jewish uh, uh, men to go into ministry. Or he could have decided to come as a 20-year-old. or I mean, any, any option. But instead, he decided to, be, to come and be born and to be human and to go and be helpless, to entrust to in this situation, um, which is really powerful to me, even just that thought. But then he he chose he had to choose someone out of all the decades, all the centuries that it could have been, all the cultures, all the women. In that day and time, he chose one, and he chose Mary, this young woman. And the more I thought about that, I thought, how incredible is that, that the God of the universe chose Mary to be the one, to be his mother, his experience, experiencing humanity. As you know, he came and was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So he really did participate in our humanity fully. So here is this, uh, this young woman. And, um, and I actually don't believe that she was 14. Some people believe she was 14. And I have no way to prove what I think. It's just my opinion. I think she was quite a bit older than that. I think that God had really prepared her to be the mother. And I think she was probably more like 17, I think maybe 18, 18 or 19. I don't know. I think maybe she was a little bit older because as we watch her right from the beginning, we see, and, and our young women are incredible. And this is one of them. But anyway, so I thought that we, what can we learn from her? What can we learn from her story? And what can we learn? Of course, all the stories are about God. And so what do we learn about God from this story? What do we learn about ourselves? How do we see ourselves? God's always the hero. We know that. 
and, um, and in her story as well. But why don't we begin in Luke chapter one. This is a bit of a study. So hopefully you will join me or at least go back later and look at the scriptures, read them up, read, a, read, a, um, read about them, look them up. Um, <clears throat> in Luke chapter one, we're going to read 26 through 37. This is the first time we ever hear about Mary. This is sort of when the angel comes to her. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married by a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. Now, I want to dissect this a little bit. Let's dig into what's happening. You know, Mary is out somewhere. We're not sure, but it doesn't seem like she's at home, okay? And this angel comes and he makes this statement, greetings, you're highly favored. You know, the Lord is with you. Well, in this, her response, it says she's, the Bible says she's greatly troubled, okay? And she's wondering about what this greeting is. And, but the truth is, I've been told that in the Greek, there's a little more of a feeling like she's annoyed, that she's troubled. She's annoyed by this. This is, this is, you know, angels very often in the Bible appeared as humans. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they came in this like, whatever, what we picture as a glowing form and that kind of thing. But sometimes they were just they came as just humans and they would be like a guy walking around talking. I really believe that's what happened here. I think that this angel appeared to her and it wasn't clear that he was an angel at first. He was just a man. And back then it was very inappropriate for a man to approach a young woman to, and just speak to her. And this was like really just not okay that he's just greeting her with this really weird greeting, almost like maybe he's, um, you know, he's hitting on her a little bit or, or there's something inappropriate going on here. And so then found favor with, favor with God. So he kind of, you know, um, says, you know, I didn't mean to startle you. I didn't mean to make you afraid. You found favor. And then he mentions that she's going to. Now, at this point, I think maybe she was like, hold on. What is going on here? 
So now there's this strange man talking to me, telling me, don't be afraid and telling me I'm going to be pregnant. And she looks at him and in our version of the NIV, it says, you know, since I am, you know, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, I am told by Greek scholars that the word she uses is sex. I don't have sex with men. And that what she responds to him is like, um, what are you talking about? Um, I don't have sex with men. So she comes right to the point, like whatever you're proposing, I don't have sex with, I don't have sex. I don't have sex with men. So this isn't, this isn't going to happen. And then the next thing that happens is, you know, the angel starts talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if at this point he showed her he was an angel. Now, in my, you know, story in my head, I think at this point he kind of glows a little bit. And he's like, okay, she is not naive. She is not, um, you know, she's, she's quick on her feet here and I need to show her who I am, but maybe not, but whatever, this explanation really helps. The Holy Spirit will come on you and will overshadow you. The Holy One will be, be called the Son of God. Then he mentions her relative Elizabeth and that Elizabeth is also pregnant. So now she's got, okay, so he knows more. He knows my family. He knows people I know. It's like she, she's got a little bit more of a reference that, okay, he's, he's building trust here in all of this. And I don't know how quick it took her to say, I am the Lord's servant. I don't know whether she sat down in the dirt and thought about that for 10 minutes. I don't know what happened. Like all we have are just sort of the bare bones here of this conversation, but maybe she immediately understood and knew But it's, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you have said, the power in that statement, it was a surrender but also she has proven right here from the beginning and is going to continue to prove in the next like few hours or whatever that she knows a lot. She's a very knowledgeable young woman and she probably very clearly understood the danger she was submitting to the humiliation. I mean, that this angel has just told her that she's going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's going to be overshadowed. So, I mean, think about in her culture and her time, <clears throat> women that got pregnant and weren't married. I mean, it, they had honor killings. They had, I mean, she could have been killed. She would, you know, the humiliation, the being misunderstood and wrongly judged would be just hard enough. But she was taking on a whole lot by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said and and she surrenders to it and so I, I see just this amazing I don't know she doesn't seem to be this mousy fearful this this little girl that um was maybe super quiet didn't question no she she definitely had a question about this and registered it and um and I think we're gonna see as we look at her story that she was not who we always picture her as, that she's she's definitely um, got some spice to her. 
Um, and then this this next part in Luke um, 1 verse 39, you know, it's like um, she she hurries. It says in verse 39, at, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my room, in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. <clears throat> I want us to note that like after this, this happening with this angel, it doesn't seem like Mary panicked. She doesn't seem worried. She's in a hurry. And we're going to see that over and over. She's a woman of action. Like she, she takes this and she's like, okay, I need to go on a trip. It doesn't say she goes home. She doesn't go find her mom or her dad. Now, maybe they had passed. I, we don't know uh, some of her story here, but she took a trip. She was like, I know where I need to go. And I need, and she went straight to Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was a relative and was but quite a bit older than her. She may have been her mentor. Maybe that's one of the ways God was preparing this young woman to be the mother of the Messiah was maybe through Mary and maybe through Elizabeth, because Elizabeth, we see, is an incredibly um, devout woman, strong in her faith, strong in her convictions. Her story is powerful. She doesn't doubt God. She believes in this big, amazing, mighty God. And, you know, if you look into history, Elizabeth, we don't have time today, but Elizabeth's history is like she comes from a long line of priests, and it might be that she was one of those women that was taught to read and that did learn the law, uh, which that was very unusual and considered anathema. That was terrible to teach women how to read or to teach them the law. But um, Elizabeth always seems to know quite a bit. So maybe that's where Mary learned some of it. We don't know. But what we know is that um, she ran to Mary, to Elizabeth, and that's also, you see something in her character. She went to someone that was righteous, someone that was strong, someone that immediately believed her, believed the situation. And you see that, and I think about how beautiful this is, that the world is changing. The Messiah is, is, is being born. It's like Mary is pregnant with him now. And it's this, and Elizabeth calls him Lord. She's the first one to call him Lord. And you think about these two women are there and the whole world doesn't know what's happening. But these two women, they do. They know that something huge has happened. Mary believed in Jesus before anybody. She knew for a fact he was the son of God because she had never had sex and she was pregnant with this child she knew this child belonged to God and I think that that's such an amazing event that sometimes we kind of run right over it I don't know but I think that we, we this was this was huge and these women understood what was happening so God is kind of partnering with them in this beautiful way to bring something incredible to change the world forever to change eternity it says
Mary has a song. Okay, and I want us, last night I decided, oh, we just couldn't, didn't have time to read it, but let me tell you, this is so powerful. It's called a Magnificat, and uh, which really just means, mag, you know, magnify in Latin. So, um, and I don't know why, but, but I think that this song, this proclamation of hers is, is really something and has caused a lot of stir in history. But until you read about it, maybe you've never heard of it. Not the song, but the stir that it caused. So let's read it first and then look at it. Um, in verse 46 of Luke 1, it says, Mary said, the, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Now, this, this song, this proclamation is really needy. I mean, at first she's talking about how God is incredible and has been so amazing to her and that he's looked on her in her humble state. And, and yet it shows she sort of moves on into who God is, promises he has made. And she connects that promise of Abraham, that promise to Abraham and Sarah, to what's happening, to this is part of that fulfillment. So this woman is not um, just some sweet little poor little girl do you know what I mean that doesn't get something she gets it she gets that this is a big deal this is huge what's happening and then also she portrays God and pulls out the parts the the um the qualities of God that we really need to get and understand and part of it was how he feels about the proud, the mighty, the powerful, and the rich. And, you know, people have said at times, you know, this was the good news. Jesus was coming. But maybe it didn't sound like good news to the very powerful, the rich, those that were well-fed. Because it talks about scattering it talks about bringing down the rule, toppling the thrones of the powerful and replacing them with the humble. He talks about sending away the rich empty. So it, she portrays who God is and that God is a lover of the oppressed, of the lowly, of the hungry, that he has a special affinity for those that are abused those that are looked down on or cast out. And so this song, 
and you know, I didn't realize this, but um, in, in, in over the years, this has been fairly, uh, I don't know, controversial, her song. And like I said, I didn't know that. And, um, you know, some people have had, in, in history, there have been poor and oppressed people that have used these words. And they have been their rallying cries. They have been their, 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 their cry for freedom, their cry for justice, have been Mary's words. But I didn't know that. I had never really studied this. And, you know, she doesn't, one of the quotes was, she's not a scared compliant. She doesn't seem as much like a scared compliant young girl. She seems more like a rebel intent on reorienting unjust systems. It's like, that's what she highlights in this message. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a, a well-known a well theologian, a scholar. He was um, a German preacher. Um, he was killed by the Nazis, okay? And so we've got a lot of his writing and his teaching. And this is what he says about Mary's words. He says, the, this is the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. And he got it, that she had in her heart that God wanted justice and love. He wanted the, he, he was trying to right the world, right the wrongs. And that this, this, part of God that she was carrying, the Messiah was going to make a difference. He was going to set a lot right. And that, uh, you know, uh, between those that would listen to him and would follow him, you know, um, these, he, her, her uh, poem song, her, her words were considered dangerous and actually banned. They were outlawed legally in several countries, India, Guatemala, Argentina, there were places where her words were banned. You could not read them in, like at church aloud. You could not read them in public aloud. That's how dangerous they considered her words. That's really something. You know, sure that I would like to show Jerusha. This is a piece of art by Ben, ben Wildflower. And he's an artist that captured her. Oh, do we have to do it? Oh, sorry. Steve's okay. going to help me here. Um, we're going to cap this. He captured um, part of this in an art piece that has been very considered, you know, sometimes controversial, but people love. And you see her with her fist in the air. It's a different Mary. Usually we see her with a halo, sort of small and holding a baby and kind of, um, you know, not at all intimidating in any way or doesn't seem very powerful. And yet in this picture, he's got her with her fist in the air and her foot on the snake. She's crushing the head of the snake. She, she's crushing the, the curse of sin in the world by bringing Jesus, that God is using her to do this. 
And then it says, fill the hungry, lift the holy, cast down the mighty, send the rich away. It's like these were the words, the things that she emphasized. So when she got this news and the Holy Spirit came on her and gave her this child in her womb, in within her, this is the what she came to say. This is what she wanted to proclaim to the world about what was happening. And I think that's very powerful. Okay, we could get rid of that picture. Um, okay, I, um, I, I wanted us to see this because I think that we need to look deeper at the Bible. You know, there's a lot in there that we miss. And then we're not going to be learning all the things that we could be learning. And, and I love this picture of her. She's very, she's very different than what I thought. She's got this strength that is something. But also you see her knowledge. You know, why did God choose her? I don't know. But he prepared her. And she had a lot of knowledge about God. She understood a lot of who God is, which is really what theology is, is who is God? How does he act? What does he care about? What matters to him? And she did understand a lot of that. It's like that, that beautiful song, you know, Steve's written a beautiful song about her, but then there's that other sort of uh, pop song, Mary, Did You Know? And um, in recent years, when somebody sings that, all I can think is, oh, yes, oh, yeah, she knew. <laughs> she knew a lot. She, I don't know how much she knew, but she really understood a ton. Um, even that this was a, a, a very, very big deal in history. But we, we do, we've had that wrong picture. She was the first one to believe, the first one to love him, the first one to listen to him. Um, she sacrificed everything. The Bible talks about, you know, something will happen and it'll say Mary treasured these things in her heart. It says that several times. She was thoughtful, deep. She wasn't a shallow young woman. She, she had this depth that was really uh, something. You know, Simeon even told her uh, that when Jesus comes, it's going to overturn a lot of things. People, a lot of people are going to be convicted, you know. Um, and he said, and the sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. That she was going to be pierced. That this was going to be tough, you know. She was, I'm sure, growing up, she was a fairly normal child. She probably had a lot of dreams and thoughts about what her life would be like. I'm sure she never, ever dreamed of being pregnant and unmarried. She never dreamed of a lot of the things that were going to become her life. And yet, she trusted. She trusted in God. I um, one of the things that I've thought that maybe after all this happened and she was pregnant and, you know, she had so much to deal with um, as she gave birth. And this was a real birth. And I think we need to remember that. I mean, this is amniotic fluid and blood and this is sweat. I mean, this is real. This, this young woman gave birth to this, to this Savior, to Jesus. And then she breastfed him. Then she potty trained him at some point. She wiped his nose. She taught him probably how to say his first prayer. She taught him to share his toys, you know, and to obey quickly, I'm sure. I mean, she was mama. There was a lot that went into that. And sometimes we forget. We dehumanize. We kind of forget 
who this who Jesus was, but that he chose this to be human and to be raised by someone. And Joseph was there and he was specially chosen too, I think. He really responded and, and, and submitted to the calling that Mary had on her life to bring this young, this baby into the world and to raise him to a manhood, to adulthood. And I'm sure that he played an in, in, uh, incredible part in that as well. They were partners and you can see that as it goes. But one of the things that I think about is um, that maybe she would dream, she was deep. And so maybe she thought, well, one day he's going to be king. I mean, after all, the angels said those words, he will be great, son of the most high. He will be given the throne of his father, David. He will, be, he will reign forever. So I don't know that she had any way to know that he wasn't going to be on a, a, a physical throne or be the physical ruler necessarily. I'm not sure who all understood that. And maybe she thought, well, at least I'll be queen mother. You have to remember in their culture to the, the way a woman, her value, her worth was completely tied up in um, her, her, her value, her worth was completely tied up in being a wife, but being a mother, particularly a mother of a son, it was all about having a son. And so she was like, and if you have an important son, a really great son, that's even more. Like people are going to just really, you know, see how blessed I am that I've got this son. And so maybe that was one of her expectations is like, yes, this has been hard and this is difficult. But, but one day, think about what God's chosen me. He's chosen me to be the queen mother, the mother of the, of the king. So I don't know how much of it was in there, but that could have been a thought and an, just a normal expectation. And yet she had a long way to go, right? Because this firstborn son was going to be crucified, was going to be executed publicly as a common criminal. And so it, her life's not going to turn out quite the way she thought. And so there's a lot that needs to happen between here and there. There's a lot that needs to she needs to learn and grow in. How is she going to get there? Well, we're going to see. You know, in John 2, there's a, uh, there's a sort of a next example of what's going on in John chapter two. Um, this is the wedding feast. Remember the wedding feast and Jesus was there and um, some of his followers are with him and his mother's there. And in verse uh, three, it says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus answers her, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And then his mother looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Now, one, I want us to notice that Mary is a woman and Jesus chose her, right? Well, let's look at what she's like. She sees a need. She's at a wedding. It's not her wedding, but she's like, they're running out of wine. We've got to take care of that. She's a take charge kind of person. She's she's a leader. She's like, we got to do something here. And she says, I know the trick. Jesus, they're running out of wine. She knows his ability, evidently, right? She understands who he is and what he's capable of. 
She's not afraid to say. She's not afraid to speak up, say what needs to be said. And one of the things we're going to learn about there, I kind of titled this lesson, um, uh, Always Going Somewhere Saying Something. That's Mary. And that's a quote from Julie Frady, a, a woman author. But um, always going somewhere saying something. And she was. She had something to say. She took care of the need, you know. And But I want us to notice Jesus' response. His response to her is, dear woman, why do you involve me? Now, this response is a little different, okay? She would have noticed right away, culturally, that he didn't say mother. But it's not disrespectful. It's actually very respectful. He said, dear woman. The term he uses is very respectful, but it's clearly not saying mother. I think that what we see here is Jesus kind of um, signaling Things have got to change. You know, I'm sure they had a lot of talks about it, but it's like, it's like her, her relationship with him is going to have to change. She, she's got to go from mama to devoted disciple. She's got to get there. And that's going to take some, some getting used to. And so in this instance, it's like, he kind of gently reminds her very respectfully, um, dear woman. And and then he does it though. He does what she told him. She, she, he does what she asked. And he honors the, the the meets the need, you know, the way she wants, which is great. But it's like we we're gonna see this a few more times. And I'm sure many of them were not recorded. Times where he he kind of stops her in her tracks or says something that's that's not what she would expect. And and he redefines. He's got to help her get there. And I want you to watch this devotion to him, uh, from him to her. Um, but, you know, she was somebody that said something, said really, really did say something. And I think we can learn a lot about that. And that's one of the things we learned from her, that evidently it was okay to speak up and say something. And that Jesus didn't think that she shouldn't. In fact, she continues on in life being that way. And feeling very comfortable with saying what needs to, what she thinks needs to be said. And I think that it's like, that's for me, I was thinking about this and thinking about how much it applies to today. Like her life is so different from what, you know, she expected. Well, our lives are so different from <laughs> what we would have thought this year. But also just how the Portland church and how proud I am of the Portland church being willing to speak up and say what needs to be said and keep the conversation about racism going, uh, mutuality. But we have vision groups right now that are meeting and working on really, um, they're studying the Bible, getting principles down and thinking of practical ways that we can put some great things into practice to, to be what we need to be today in our community, to be people that speak up, that show up, that really stand up for what's right, the social justice, the, 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 to really portray Jesus, the real Jesus to the world around us. So I'm so grateful for that. So as we go, it's like there is, there's so much to learn about God, about ourselves and what we need to do. But let's turn over to Luke 8. There's another one. In Luke chapter 8, <clears throat> Some people believe that Luke got a lot of his material from Mary. I don't know if that's true, uh, but that's what some people believe that she, he's, she's one of the main people that he interviewed. 
and would ask questions about things. And it has, uh, she, you know, Luke has a lot more <clears throat> about women in the scriptures and stuff like that. But in Luke chapter eight, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21. But <clears throat> what I want to do, I can never turn over here without reading the first couple of verses and just making um, just in case any of you miss, missed the revelation that I had a few years ago, it changed my perspective so much. I want to share it. Luke chapter eight, um, it says uh, those first few little verses, it says uh, Jesus was traveling from town to town and village to one village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support him out of their own means. You know, the reason I point that out is it, it helped me for so long. I had one picture. Maybe it's the picture you've had. When you read the Gospels and you, it talks about Jesus traveling around, I would see Jesus and 12 guys walking around from village to village, but that's not the right picture. He walked around from town to town, village to village with a group of women and men, men and women. He traveled together with them. And it says many women. After naming several, he says, and many others. I don't know how many he is, five, eight, 10. I don't know. But he, so when we, when you read the Bible, when it says Jesus with his disciples, we need to picture it was this group of men and women that traveled with him, that he worked with, that he, he it was family feeling. It was that, that representative of the church, what the church would be like. And he was teaching them to interact with one another. And I think this is key because very often I think she was one of them. She was one of those women that was walking along, that was with him. We don't know when Joseph died, but at some point Joseph was out of the picture. I assume died, um, and he may have been quite, quite older than her, uh, is the truth, um, which was the case back then in marriages very often. So, but um, but what we see in, down in verse 19, it says, now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. This is when he's uh, he's preaching, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told them, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Jesus replied, mm, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. My mother and brother are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Wow. So mom and the brothers come. Now sisters evidently stayed home, but mom and the brothers come and they want to see him and he's like um my mother and brothers are people that hear the word and obey it now whether this happens again or it's the same incident over in mark 3 we're not going to look it up but in mark 3 verses 20 and 21 the bible talks about how you know it was reported that jesus was so busy that he didn't that he and the disciples didn't have time to eat well, and they thought he was out of his mind is the word that the NIV uses. He didn't have time to eat and out of his mind. And then it says down in verse 31 and 34 of Mark 3, um, they show up and she wants to take charge of him. And she's like, you know, 
and and then he says basically the same thing that my mother and sisters and brothers are those who obey the word of God. And so I wanted to point this out for two reasons. One is is we see him helping her to refocus. He's transitioning her from being mama to understanding that it's a spiritual family. And what matters is who obeys the word, who listens to God's word and obeys it. And so he helps her with that transition. But also right here, he redefines family. For this culture, that is radical. I mean, he has redefined family. And for men and women, and that it's not biology or blood, his family is going to be based in this common faith, this relationship to him. So our relationship to him is what should define us and our family. And I love that. I love that passage. Also, he was helping her know that she would always belong. That even after he was gone, she would belong. She had a big family and she had other sons and daughters, of course, but also a huge family, that spiritual family she was going to get to be a mother and sister in. And, and we all need that. If she was going to survive all that was coming, then she needed to know where she belonged, where she fit, where she fit in, as we do too, of course. And then in Luke 11, I'm going to hit this really quickly. In Luke 11, there's another passage where he comes, he, he does this again. He says this thing, Luke 11, 27, 28 uh, verses. Um, okay, it says, as Jesus was saying these things, so he's preaching, and a woman in the crowd yells out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Now, this was kind of a, it was just a compliment. It was a common kind of compliment. She was saying, you know, oh, you're wonderful. I bet your mom's so proud of you. Okay. It was just this kind of sweet compliment she yells out, but Jesus takes this opportunity to take exception to it. And he says something akin to, on the contrary, he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So on the contrary, instead, blessed are those who hear and obey. So once again, in this setting, when someone even mentions his mom being blessed, he reminds her and them, he teaches that what matters is our relationship to God, not who we are in this world. We can't be defined by the world. And women, especially at that time, had a hard time with this, as you can imagine, because they really saw themselves as either, as baby makers. It's like it, either I fail or I succeed at, at being a woman, like I can give birth to sons or I can't. And he's like, no, that's not what makes you blessed. Even if you have a great son, that's not that's not it. Now, he's not saying it's not great to be a mom. It's one of the most wonderful things in the world, if you want to be, to get to be, or a dad. And, you know, but he doesn't want us to be defined by being married or not married, a parent or not a parent. 
be, you know, how much money we make, success, the accomplishments, the, the way the world defines us. We've got to throw that stuff off and realize what makes us successful or blessed as a person is our relationship with him, walking with him, letting him in our lives to, to shape us and love us the way we need to be loved, fill us up. You know, and I think that this is just beautiful. He, he redefines identity, what we get our identity from. It's like, but all through this story of Mary, like we see these encounters with her and about her. You know, I think that he shocked her a bit, probably stunned her every once in a while with some of these comments. I'm sure they had a lot of talks about it, though, just in general. But um, he, she had to be shaken out of this thinking that she was uh, mama because she wasn't going to survive that crucifixion if she weren't solid, grounded in faith, if she didn't know who she was. If she didn't know that her relationship and her identity was based in him, him being God, he's the Messiah, not him being her son. If that relationship was so important, you know, we could have gotten to the cross and she could have been bitter and angry. She could have been resentful. She knew he was innocent, not just innocent, perfect. You talk about a mama bear. I mean, she could have just been devastated and destroyed by the cross. But instead, she was able to be there. She was at the cross. She was there with him. She stood with him while he was dying. She talked to him. He talked to her. She was strong enough to live through that because he had prepared her. See, he didn't just use her for what he needed her for, a womb, a mommy when he was little, and then set her aside. No, he stuck with her to the very end, and she stuck with him. This kind of devotion and loyalty is powerful, and it's something I think that we all need to see in this relationship. He stuck with her. He got her. Just think about it. I mean, her marriage was over. At this point, we don't know where Joseph was going. Her firstborn son was publicly executed as a criminal. It's like, but her, but her identity was intact. She knew who she was. Her worth, her dignity. She knew where she belonged. She knew what mattered. She knew why she was here. She was ready because he got her there. He helped her. I don't know that she was more, quote unquote, special than anybody else, than us. But what we see is the devotion that Jesus shows in a real relationship, a physical relationship that he had, his mom. He sticks with her through to the end. He doesn't quit. He doesn't give up on her, even though she's, she's always going somewhere saying something. She's always interrupting something. She's always got something to say about what needs to be done. She, but she was wise in what she said. She saw needs. She saw clarity. And, and it was because he really worked with her. You know, she belonged. She had a spiritual family. You know, you can even see in her, she made it to the tomb. She made it to the, 
she was at peace. Now I'm sure she was in huge pain, horrible pain, but not so much that she just laid down and died. Not so much that she just quit. She didn't. She was not queen mother. Life had not turned out the way she had expected at any point. But she knew. She knew who she was. And she knew God. Her faith was there. She had a hard transition. But, you know, he got her to the cross. He got her to the tomb. She stayed. He got her to the resurrection. He got her to the upper room. Remember in the first of Acts, how they were in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit? It says Mary was there. She was there for Pentecost, the beginning of the church. She made it. She made it the whole way. That's who he chose. But he helped her. He worked with her. She wasn't a finished product ever. She wasn't sinless or perfect. We don't, we, we don't pray to her. She was just a regular woman, but we see what that relationship with Jesus can do. He wants to be that for us. He said it over and over. That it's not about being his mother. It's about having a relationship with him. It's about listening to his words, walking with him. He wants to be there for us. He will get us through to the very end. He sticks with us through whatever comes, whatever happens, good or bad, horrible, excruciating. He sticks with us and gives us what we need to make it to the end. So that's what I think we learn about Mary. That's what we learn about who Mary really was, but more who God was, who God was, and what he can do for us. What he wants us to see is that he will stick by us. He will get us there. He will be everything we need. Thank you, guys. You know, um, I appreciate how God, through the scriptures, he put these things in front of us to show us the direction that we need to we need to go, right? Because it's a lot, a lot of times it's in opposition of what we think is, is the right thing. Um, I mean, there's a lot of years from Jesus' birth to his death, um, and there's a lot of stuff that happened there. Um, running away from the party to go be back with, you know, just things where you, you I mean, I remember us as, as parents not knowing where one of our daughters were uh, coming home from school and, be, and, and just being absolutely panicking and, um, and knowing that that family went through that same thing as well. Right. And so, you know, it's amazing to see how God lays these things out. I, I wonder sometimes about um, Mary's mental health, right. Um, because, you know, you, all the things that, that she, the things that were in opposition, right, of, of, of what parenting would want us to, to, to believe and, and the things that we want to, where we want to operate. Like, I'm your, you know, I'm your mom. I want to show you this. I want to tell you. And then we go from that, you know, that, that, that nurturing phase to that, that advisory phase where we're now we're just, when kids get to be in their teen years, we're just advising them because they've made the transition well before, before we would want them to. And so, yeah, I just really appreciate the fact that um, the way you laid it all out and, and how those scriptures just help us to understand the challenges that we face when it comes to following following Christ and following God. Because 
it is a, it, it can be a bunch of opposites to us in our minds um, when it comes to what we want and what God would want us to do. And I appreciate, you know, even the parallel of, you know, him being called woman versus mom, you know, um, because because that could be challenging for a mom because, that, you, you know, you, you hear that, you say, wait a minute. You, you, I'm your mama. Why you call me woman? What's up with that, right? Those are all challenging things that that help us as Mary's example to understand that it's there's a bigger picture that you just might not be understanding. And so, definitely appreciate that. And 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 Steve, I like the way you you segue into this with the James Bond thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because um, a lot of us, a lot of us who've seen those movies. I think when you say that, because we watch, we, you know, on Pluto, which is a channel that gives you free TV, right? They run a James Bond channel, right? And, and you watch that and you're like, wow, that woman did not want him to do that, right? Mm-hmm. But yet he was aggressive in his, and we used to think that James Bond was really cool. For those people who watch, who watch James Bond and now see it in this different light must really understand that it's not the same. You thought it was okay back then. Things change. You need to reread. You need to relook and understand that it's not the way you you think it used to be. The Word of God. You need to dig in deeper and understand that there was there was more than just guys following Jesus. The Bible has said that all along. We've just ignored it and and, and misunderstood the importance of the women and that group of people supporting God's mission. So my ask is that we all relook at what we're what we're talking about and what we believe because the word is true. We've just been missing it, and we've maybe been traditionally slanting it towards what our historical beliefs have been. And so I really appreciate it. It's odd to throw a James Bond thing in there in the beginning, but it was perfect because it helps us to open our eyes, and we have as well as we watch those those movies and said, "Wow, that that is not that is not our culture. We should have never accepted that." And that's and that's where we are. listening to audio from the Portland Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to our ministry, please visit www.portlandchurch.org.